I, uh, we've been, this is kind of the culmination of our overwhelmed series, and um, I didn't mean for it to go uh, for the la- last few couple weeks, actually, but um, I had people coming up to me like, Pastor Rosen, could you, could you preach about another type of overwhelm that I'm feeling, like overwhelm that I'm talking to people about? Um, because the reality is, is we're, we're overwhelmed on, on many different levels, many different areas. So if, if this doesn't scratch your itch, you can look over the past seven weeks, and I'm sure there's a message for you uh, in your specific brand of being overwhelmed. Um, today, I'm going to talk about being overwhelmed by busyness. And uh, this, this is a message that I am preaching to myself, and you get to listen. Um, because I think every single one of us, to many degrees, uh, struggles with kind of hurriness and, and busyness and packing our schedules and saying yes to all these types of things and like um, and just kind of living without margin in our life and not resting when we know we should. Um, and I was thinking about this. I, I had this. Uh, if you've been around here for a while, you probably remember uh, I drove for years a. 1990 Ford Ranger. It was teal green, so it was awesome. Um, and I loved it because there was nothing that could break on it. You ever had a vehicle like that that you're just like, man, this thing, it's got roll down windows, no air conditioning, stick shift, two wheel drive. At one point, it was one wheel drive, uh, cassette tape, right? Um, and uh, held together by Bondo, of which I failed to paint. Um, it was a real dream come true. And so, um, one, one day, all of a sudden, a light showed up on the dashboard. And uh, if, you, if you ever have these warning lights come up on your dashboard, it can be concerning at first. Um, so this red light comes up. My, my red light that I saw was check engine, to, to which I thought, what the heck does that mean? Like, so I did what every single one of you would do. I, I got out and I, and I put the hood up and I just looked at it. And there were no smells, no smoke. There was nothing dripping. Everything seemed to be connected. It looked like an engine, which is what it always had looked like. So I was like, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong. It's completely fine. So I just kept driving it. And uh, my wife would say annoying things every once in a while. Like, are you ever going to do anything about that, you know, check engine light? And I was like, send it down. No, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm working on that. Yeah, I'm going to go take a look at that. The problem is this, that like the longer that I had the check engine light, the more it kind of had an opposite effect on me. Like I would think to myself, like I'm, I'm literally driving a miracle. Like this thing, five years with a check engine light. And I'm like, I'm living on a prayer, baby. Like, living on a prayer. Like, I mean, I, like, I, this is amazing. Like, I should be thanking Jesus. Every time I turn the key, things starts up. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm blessed. Hashtag blessed, right? Not only was I driving a teal green 1994 Ranger one-wheel drive, but it would, it show, every single time, I, I, it's saying, like, I got, a, I got a, this check engine light and nothing's wrong. And five years later, the, 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 the Danger Ranger is still running, and it was what I thought was invincible. Other lights would come and go, but the check engine light re- always remained until one day when, when my truck just wouldn't start. It was like, I'm all, I'm done. I've been telling you for five years, right? So all of a sudden, it just died out of nowhere. 
Who knew, right? Like the engine just stopped working with absolutely no warning. Five years later. Now, here's the trouble, and this is where I'll apply it to you and to me. Like, it makes me wonder how many of us have check engine lights on our dashboard, and uh, it's been, you've been driving for weeks, months, years, and you're like, man, I'm still kicking, still momming so hard, still working, still, still doing, still here. Do you know that there's a recent study that came out last year. It says 62% of Americans would classify themselves as being burned out. 62%. I mean, like three out of five of us in here would classify ourselves as workers, like as being burned out. But like, you're like, hey, but look, I'm still running. I'm still kicking. I'm still, I'm still like doing everything that I normally do. It's like I'm living in a miracle Living on a prayer. Like, I mean, until we hit a wall. And even just recently, like, I get to the point where, like, even with, like, pastors and church leaders, hearing, like, time and time again, it's like every week, every couple weeks, it's like another kind of, like, a big-name pastor or church leader um, falls. But you don't have to be a pastor or church leader to fall. Those are just people that you, like, they're a known name they could be any of us. They could be me or, or you. Like, all of a sudden, we hit that wall, and the hidden sin is revealed. Marriages fall apart. Breakdowns occur. Depression and anxiety cripple us and paralyze us. And it's with absolutely no warning. Or maybe that's not completely true. Maybe there is a, a check engine light on that we just put a piece of tape over or act like, thank you, Jesus, living on a prayer. Let me read this scripture to you in Luke chapter 21, verse 34. Jesus says these words, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness in the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Isn't that interesting the way he words that? See, the, the problem with traps is that you don't usually see them coming. Because if, if you did, you wouldn't fall into them, right? So think of like a mouse trap. Um, I, most like to a mouse, a trap looks like an opportunity on a silver platter, right? Like this is amazing. Like peanut butter, just right here for me at my, at my level. This is amazing. Thank you, right? This is, this is so amazing. Uh, it looks like an opportunity uh, on a platter, and I've had mice escape death multiple times at my house. I, I had one, I nicknamed him Houdini, because I don't know how he did it. I mean, I would have those, mi- those mouse traps set up, put the peanut butter on it, because I know they love them some peanut butter, and he would lick them clean. Lick them, I mean, they, they were the little like thing, the circle thing with the stuff, the peanut butter, he would lick it clean. I don't know if he was like just kind of hovering, like lick that sucker clean, move on to the next one and never detonate it. And I'd go back a week later. I'm like, are you kidding me? I used to imagine Houdini. I used to be like, he probably gets all cocky, right? With the rest of his friends and be like, yeah, you know, you know, I'm just kind of, this is how I roll. Like, and every single week he'd be like, finally, my, my human put peanut butter down for me again. Finally, on that platter that I've been waiting for, I've got them kind of lined up in different areas. He gets excited about it until one day. See, the, the problem with traps is that you don't know you're in one 
until it's been triggered. And Jesus says, I'll read it to you again. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. It's this reality that like many times, well, many of us are more tired than we think we are. And many of us are more overly confident than we should be. And we heed those words of Jesus saying like, be careful. Like don't get caught into a trap. And you don't know you're in one until it snaps. And so my question for every single one of us and today we'll talk about it is like, is your check engine light on? How long has it been on? What are you intentionally doing to rest in your life? Because resting is not just a good idea. It's not just a suggestion. Um, God made it a commandment. Uh, I'll read it for you in Exodus chapter 20. One of the Ten Commandments says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The point is this. God is serious about rest. He's serious about Sabbath. Like out of the Ten Commandments, which we could pretty say, like, these are, these are a big deal. Out of the Ten, he made it number four. We can read throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament, like, you know, when they used to take the Sabbath really seriously. In Numbers chapter 15, there was a poor man who, found, who was found gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, like gathering sticks. He was put in protective custody because he was working, failing to be obedient to the Sabbath. The interesting thing to me is this. Most of us feel bad if we break one of the commandments, right? I mean, like, think, go through some of them, right? I mean, you got like... Worship, don't, don't worship any other gods, so, so don't have an idol. We feel bad about that. I, I should, I, I place that thing as an idol in my life. I, I shouldn't be worshiping that. I need to be worshiping God. Lying, thou shalt not lie, right? Like bear false witness. Yeah, I shouldn't lie. And I, when I do, I feel bad about it. I know that that's wrong. Murder, I shouldn't have killed that guy. I know I shouldn't have, but you know, he had it coming. But like, you know, it's like, you, you, you know, we all know that that's not right. Like adultery, like I, I, that I shouldn't do. Like I, we all know that to be, you can be a Christian, non-Christian, you just know that. You're like, I shouldn't cheat on my spouse. Um, stealing, right? Like I, I know I shouldn't steal. I should pay for what I have. And if I can't afford it, I shouldn't steal it. But what's interesting to me is that like, if we're really honest, taking a rest, honoring a Sabbath, number four, is the one commandment that we don't feel guilty for breaking. In fact, even within the church, we kind of wear busyness as a badge of honor. And here's the reality. When you don't take a day off, God's not impressed. He actually sees it as disobedience to one of his commandments. Like, he's, he's not impressed at all at our overwork, even though we try to find our identity and puff ourselves up. Like, how are you doing? Busy. Oh, good. Good, you're busy? Awesome. 
And we think, well, God knows that I'm busy. He knows. He understands. Uh, maybe he doesn't. And now, now Jesus describes it a whole lot different. Like, um, it's not a command. He actually draws us into rest in a very different way. And this is what he says. Uh, why don't you stand with me? We're going to read Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. The same idea, but Jesus comes at it a little bit differently. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. He's talking about rest, and he's talking about Sabbath, and he's talking about finding rest in him. And he says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to talk to you about four words today. Come, take, learn, find. Come, take, learn, find. Lord Jesus, I pray that as, as we uh, are busy of all the things that consume us in our days, Lord, I pray that as we, as we talk about your word, as we learn more about who you are and the way you work, that we would find rest for our souls, that promise, that gift that you want to give us, Lord, I pray that we would begin to walk in it, understand it, and see it and live within it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks. Um, so this, uh, this pastor, I was, I was listening to him talk about um, a Holy Land tour that he was on. Anybody ever, ever go to Israel, to Holy Land? Anybody? You, it, I'm telling you what, I went. It's absolutely amazing if you ever get a chance to go. There is nothing like walking on the like first century roads that Jesus walked on, um, being able to see all of those sites. It is an absolutely breathtaking and, and amazing opportunity. So this, this pastor was like on a, on a tour. They always have like tour guides. You were like kind of a group of people and they were on this kind of like hillside and there was a field and he looked over and he saw some sheep and then there was a man behind the sheep driving them, just kind of like, you ever seen like people, you know, like drive horses, you know, just kind of like, hoorah, you know, keep going. And they kind of pushing them forward and, and the, uh, the sheep were, were going. And he raises his hand when, when the tour guides, you know, finished talking about what he was talking about. He's like, hey, look, I have a quick question for you. Like in seminary and like even when I, when I read and understand the Bible, I always thought that the, the, sh the, the shepherd led and the sheep followed. Like I always thought, you know, like the, the sheep know my voice, you know, that kind of thing. Like he would call them and bid them to come and that they would follow him. Um, but I didn't think that he drove the sheep like from behind like that. And so the tour guide looks over and he says, oh, yeah, that, that's not the shepherd. That's the butcher. <laughs> I just stop preaching right now. You can just sit on that for a while. So if your life feels like you're being pushed and driven. You're most likely not being led by the shepherd. You're probably reacting to the enemy of your soul driving you. And Jesus says, come, take, learn, find. The first one he says is come. He says in verse 28, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God is inviting you into his rest. Your role in this whole situation is to simply respond to his invitation, to the leading of his invitation. 
And the problem is this, is that we can begin thinking like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, I am a, I am a wreck. I am burdened. I am weary. I am tired out. Like, I am burned out. I have to get things right. I got to take some rest. I got to get better. All of these things. And then I will be worthy to come to Jesus. But Jesus says it completely differently. If you just read it in verse 28, it's literally completely wrapped around upside down. Jesus says, come to me only if you're messed up. Like, come to me only, only if you're burdened, only if you're tired. Come to me only if you're worried, only if you're addicted, only if you've tried everything else and nothing works. Come to me only if you know that you need it. And I will give you rest. See, like, your job is to respond, and it's God's job to repair you and to mend your net and to give you rest. And we have this, this fallacy, and it's perpetuated by our culture, that the answer to our tiredness is more naps. You just need another vacation. You need a more exotic vacation. You need to go to Disney World, right? Like, the answer to your tiredness is you just need more me time. Have you ever been on a vacation and you're more tired after the vacation than before the vacation? Anybody? Yeah? You, oh, you've been to Disney World too? Oh, I see. Have you, ever, have you ever been on vacation and think like, man, I need a vacation for my vacation? Like you get off a vacation and be like, I just need a couple more days off. That was like, that was tiring, right? Because the, this is the problem. This is the thing that Jesus is identifying that we sometimes get confused as we often think that resting our bodies equates with finding rest for our souls. But the problem is, is the tired that we feel is tiredness that's on the inside. And Jesus is not offering you a vacation. Jesus isn't saying like, hey, just take a nap and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all better. You just, you just need more sleep. Jesus is offering you rest for your soul. And soul rest only comes from getting connected to the source of power and knowing that he is in control and you're really not. And we find that soul rest by coming to Jesus. So he says, come to me. And the second thing he says is this, take. Come, take. 11, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you. Are you burdened, tired, burned out? Let's trade. That's what he says. You, take my yoke. You, know, you, you give me your yoke and, and, and you take my yoke. And it's this reality that resting is not something that you achieve, it's something that you receive. He says, if you're, if you're burned out, you're tired, you're here, take my yoke. The problem is this, you can't carry both yokes. You've, you've got to be able to give your yoke over and so that you can receive his. If you want the new, you have to get rid of the the old. You have to let go of what you're holding in order to take on what he wants to give you. And the problem when we, when we run into this is that we don't want to give over the burdens because, well, we can't carry it anyway and it's too heavy for us, but we don't want to give it over. We feel like we still got to hold on to that and we'll also take his yoke as well. And we're completely burdened, completely tired, completely weary, and completely burned out. He says, take my yoke upon you. Um, I, I need a Actually, Carter, can you come up here and help me out here for a second? Come here, come here. I just want to do something. I didn't tell him about this, so he has no idea what he's doing. But he's taller than me, so that's why. There's not many people that are taller than me, and he's priding himself that he's taller than me. 
So um, you're going to act like, okay, this is what it looks like to have a yoke of, he is taller than me, I know. Stop looking. Um, <laughs> come over here so they can get you in there. So here's the thing. If you have like two oxen, um, when like, let's say, you know, he's, he's Jesus and he says, take, take my yoke. And so we have this, let's put it around my, okay. I got, this is kind of like a yoke, right? You got this thing around his neck and my neck. Um, the, the, if he's the big ox, which he's bigger than me, so he's the big ox. If I'm, if I'm learning from him, like if he says, take my yoke upon you, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, then my job as the ox that really can't pull much and relying on him, my sole job, I just want you to understand this, is to stay close to him. The, the Bible talks about the word abide, like I'm supposed to abide with Jesus, and, and I'm supposed to stay in step with him, find his rhythm, okay? So you start walking forward. All right, so I'm just, I find his rhythm. And the Bible says that when you, when you walk in the rhythm that, 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 that Jesus is setting for you, that the burden is easy, the yoke is light. Now, if you start yanking away, you start going your own way, and you start not wanting to be so close, the problem is you're yoked. The best thing you can do is just to abide, stay close, and walk in rhythm. with the, Learn from the big ox. Amen? You get it? All right, thanks, buddy. <clears throat> Learn from the big ox. That's the third thing. He says, come, take, learn. He actually says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Think about this. God wants you to rest more than you do. You're like, I don't know. I kind of need a vacation. Kind of like a little. I just want you to understand this. God wants you to rest more than you do. Why do you think he wants you to rest? Because he knows that when you are busy and you are overwhelmed, you will try to convince yourself that your identity is in what you do. It's what we do. Just stay busy, busy, busy. Work, 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 work. And we start to find our identity and not in who we are and whose we are, but in what we do. And so God commands you to rest so that he can remind you that you're not him. Your job is to abide. Your job is to stay in step. Your job is to stay in rhythm. Your job is to stay attentive. Your job is to walk in the rhythms of grace in your life. And when we just think, oh, I just got to carry this myself. I just got to work. I just got to work. I just got to work. I just got to keep doing, keep doing. We start to convince ourselves that we're God. That we, nobody else is going to carry my burden. I got to look out for myself. I got to do this thing. And he's like, no, no, no. Just come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn from me. What does that mean? Learn from me. Think about this. Um, it's important for us as we read the Bible to not just like read the words that Jesus had to say. Jesus was not only a great teacher, he was a rabbi, which means that you don't just listen to the words that he says, you watch his life. One of the things that we've lost in our 21st century American culture is the definition of what it means to be a disciple and a rabbi. So Jesus wasn't just a carpenter, he was a rabbi. So when he called his 12 disciples... That's what he called them, disciples. In a first century Jewish culture, when he says, come, follow me, he wasn't just like, hey, I'm looking for some groupies. Could you kind of maybe just follow along with me? And like, I'd like a, some ragtag group of people. No, he was inviting them into a relationship. He was inviting them into a rabbi-disciple relationship. And there's books all written about discipleship. And we, we kind of get confused in our American culture. Well, are you discipled? Or who's discipling you? Or have you been to, we, we call it more of a program than anything else. But in the first century Ju Judaism, what that meant was is that you were 
a disciple, and Jesus was your rabbi. And if Jesus was your rabbi, that meant you did life with him. That meant you walked with him, you talked with him. You didn't just listen to the words that he spoke and the, and the sermons that he preached because the crowds did that. What they got was behind the scenes. What they got, they got to listen to him. They got to ask questions to him. And, and, and it, back, back in this day, disciples of rabbis would begin to start walking like their rabbi, talking like inflections and mannerisms of their rabbi. They started to take on their likes and dislikes of the rabbi. Like they wouldn't eat certain foods that the rabbi didn't like just because, well, they're disciples of the rabbi. They, they just started to literally act, walk, talk, look like their rabbi. And if you really start watching the life of Jesus, not just the words he says, but the things that he does, you find that he truly lives his life out of rest in all of his busyness. And Jesus was wicked busy, y'all. Like, he was so busy. He was so restful, though. I don't know if you know this, like, all of the things that he did in those, like, two to three years, like, are you kidding me? You accomplished all that? And he was never panicked. You never see Jesus freaking out. He's never panicked, even when his disciples, we talked about a couple weeks ago, where he's like literally sleeping on a soggy pillow in a, in a boat that was ready to turn over, and they want him to get panicked, and he refuses to get panicked. You never hear about Jesus sprinting. Do you ever notice that? There's never been like, and Jesus was just running. He was just hauling it, right? He was just running, right? You never see that. Jesus was never running. He was, it seems like he was always just kind of like lollygagging around, right? Like this was, and yet he accomplished more than any of us more than anything that you could accomplish. We never see Jesus in a hurry. He never was worried about being late. Even when it would have probably saved the life of a little girl and a good friend from death, if he just picked the pace up a little bit, could have gotten there. Lazarus wouldn't have died. We never see Jesus galloping on a horse. Hoorah! Like he literally comes into town on a donkey. Slow. Slow donkey. Not only that, think about this. All of his miracles, for me personally, I would have perceived all of his miracles as interruptions. None of them were scheduled. None of them were on his calendar. Every single one of them seems to happen, like in between, on the way to a place that he actually did have on his calendar. It's like, oh, on, on the way, as he was going, like all of a sudden this interruption came up and it becomes one of the most amazing miracles that we read about. You think about this, like the 5,000 being fed. It wasn't like planned. They just didn't bring any lunch. And he's like, are you guys kidding me? I got to make lunch for all these people? Think of the woman with the issue of blood. He's literally trying to go from one place to the other. And this woman just starts dragging herself on his robe, begging for him to listen. He's, per he's like in a house preaching an amazing message and and four guys start ripping the tiles off the roof and lowering their friend down in front of Jesus. A complete interruption. And see, here's my point. What you and I would view as interruptions, Jesus saw as invitations. Time in and time out. Jesus never seemed to be reacting. He was always responding. Always. And so when you feel overwhelmed, there's the difference. When you feel overwhelmed you react. And when you're rested, you respond. And I want to speak this over you. God wants to give you responsibility, the ability to respond rather than react. I was thinking about, um, we call paramedics like first responders. Isn't that interesting? Like, 
yeah, they're, they're the first responders. And like when you call 911, um, you essentially get the emergency response team, right? So it essentially goes like this. If you've ever called 911, um, they answer, 911, how can I help you? Oh, please help. Uh, my, my, my house is on fire. Okay, sir, um, are, are you inside the house? No, no, I'm outside. I, I'm outside. My house is on fire. Okay, is everybody outside of the house with you? Yeah, my kids are out here with me, but oh my goodness, like everything. Okay, I need to stay on the phone with me, sir. Please do not go back inside the house. I need you to find yourself, get away from the house, get on the sidewalk. I know, but my house is it's burning down. Remain calm, sir. Stay on the phone with me. I just need you to know I have already dispatched the fire department. Department. They are on the Help is on the way. Now, now that's emergency response for you, right? Can you imagine if it was the emergency react team? <laughs> 911, how can I help you? Oh my gosh, my, my house, my house is on fire. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, no, this is an awful day. Oh my goodness. Hey, Rick, Rick, their house is on fire. Oh my gosh, is it bad? How bad is it? Oh, it's on fire. It's really, it's burning up. Oh no, you're going to lose it all. Oh, you better run in there and get everything out of there as fast as you can until it all reduced to ash. That's the emergency react team for you. One of, thank you. One of the simplest ways, if you're kind of wondering, like, I don't know, am I overwhelmed or am I arrested? One of the simplest ways that you can tell if you're overwhelmed or arrested is are you reacting or are you responding? And see, my concern, not just for you, for the church, is really kind of what we're dealing with now, what we've dealt with over the past couple years, is this, that I believe that God is looking for his church to be the emergency respond team, and we've been acting a whole lot like the emergency react team. And Jesus is saying, learn from me. Be my disciple. Don't just listen to the words I say. Watch my life. Watch how I live. Walk in my rhythm, stay in my pace, abide in me, stay close to me. Let me do the heavy lifting. I just need you to walk beside me. Watch how I live and live in my rhythm so that you can respond to invitations that you're perceiving as interruptions. Because God wants to give you responsibility, the ability to respond when you find rest for your soul. The thing is, is that like God came up with rest. He invented it. He invented it. He invented Sabbath. And it was, it was interesting. I, I went back as I was studying t- today. I went back to Genesis, you know, the first Sabbath, the first rest. And I'd never seen this before. So it was kind of like brand new to me. It's interesting that, like, God began creation, you know, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. On the sixth day, he created man. And on the seventh day, God rested. And it was this reality. All of a sudden, like, ding. Do you realize this? That, like, 
man's first full day on earth was a day of rest. So what does that mean? It means that that God didn't instate the Sabbath in response to your busyness. He instated it before we ever got busy doing anything. Which is a completely upside down way of how we view rest. We view rest like work, 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 and maybe I'll have time if I can fit it in to rest. But God says, no, 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 no. We rest so that we can work. We don't work and maybe try to fit in rest. It's like tithing, right? We, we give our first 10 so that we can live on the other 90. Because if you don't give it your first 10, you'll never have it to give. And it's the same way with rest. God says, I need you to actually put that first so that you can work. And when you get it upside down, that's how we get into the rhythm of thinking that rest is recuperation from work. Rest is not recuperation from work. Rest is preparation for work. That's how God designed it from the very beginning of creation and how we've gotten that so screwed up and upside down. God said it this way from the beginning. It's like you're going to rest so that you can work, so that you can respond rather than react. Come, take, learn, find. The last thing he says is find. 11, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the, the result of all of this is that you end up finding what you're looking for. Now, you may be thinking like, well, Pastor Lincoln, how do you know what I'm looking for? You have no idea what I'm looking for. Essentially, Jesus is saying, like, we all think that we know that what we're looking for. We end up chasing after things that we think that we're looking for. We, we, we think that we know, so we end up looking for money and possessions and status and relationships and security, whatever that looks like for us. And we think, if I can find what I'm looking for, then I'll find satisfaction. And what you know and what I know and what Solomon knew is, like, it's chasing the wind, you're running after money, you never have enough of it. You run after security, you think you got it, but it's just not quite enough. You get possessions, but it just, it, there's always an upgrade. There's always more. You're always chasing after something. And so it promises you satisfaction that it never delivers on. And Jesus is telling you, you think you know what you're looking for, but I'm telling you what you're looking for. And what you're looking for is rest for your soul. And Jesus is reminding you and reminding them that in him, you have finally found what you're looking for in him. Why don't you stand with me? Is your check engine light on? Has it been on? How long has it been on? Been on for a few years. You just keep driving like you're living in a miracle. Living on a prayer. Like you feel like you're just kind of in this place of like, man, this is just amazing. I, I got all kinds of red lights saying like, burnout coming. Just keep plowing on. If you pride yourself in never taking a day off, God is not impressed. And this is so much easier said 
been done. It is a complete reversal and a mind meld of how our world lives, how our culture, what our culture prides itself in, and what God commands us to. And for many of us, it is hard work to rest. You, you, you feel this? Like some of you, taking a day off is hard work, right? You're like, I don't want to go on vacation. Emails are just going to pile up. All this work, I should just never, never take a day off, right? I'll just, I'm just, I, I can't. It's just too much work to rest. It's true. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Um, the writer of Hebrews says this. Let us, therefore, catch these words, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He's literally telling us that, it re- that rest requires effort. And, and, and those of us who are busy know the effort that it takes to make every effort to enter into rest. Sometimes the reason that we haven't found rest is because our, our life is just undisciplined. And when we create boundaries and margin in our life, we find that we don't have to live right up to the edge of the page, that we actually have margin to live within. Scripture says that to make every effort to enter into the rest that God offers. So come, take, learn, find. Come to Jesus. Take his yoke upon you. Learn from him and find rest for your soul. Maybe you're here today and like this message is kind of hitting you right where you need it. Where you're like, man, I, I desperately need that rest for my soul. I don't know what that looks like and I don't know if I've ever had that before. It begins with just simply coming to Jesus. It's just saying, I'm not doing a really great job at this, this thing and I, and I know I need something that I just cannot attain and I've been trying to satisfy it through all these other things and I've never found it. And if it's true, if I can find it in you, then I want it. And so maybe for the first time, if you're in here today and you're like, I, I don't necessarily know if I have the faith to move forward into this, but if, if there's any truth to this, then I need it and I want it in my own life. And throughout this place, I just want to offer to pray with you. Maybe just between you and God, you just, you just, I just want to offer you, just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I understand that I need rest. And so I invite you to make the trade with me. I'll take my, your, your yoke upon me. And as I do, I ask for your forgiveness of my sin. I repent of it. And I ask that you would give me your rest. The soul rest that is only found in you. And Lord, I pray for each and every single person that just made that trade today, for maybe for the first time. God, I thank you for the trade that we don't deserve and we don't even quite understand. And yet, when we find that freedom that only comes through you, Lord, I thank you that you made a way where there seems to be no way. That we come to you, we take your yoke upon us as we give you our junk.
We learn from you, discipled by you. And in all of it, we find rest for our souls. For those of us who are in here that just like, there's an area of your life where you just know, like you're, you're just busy. Maybe it's work, whatever it is, family life, whatever. I just encourage you to just renew that yoke. To just say, God, I, I'm giving this over to you right now. I, I need to know what it looks like to live in the present and to stop reacting to the problems, but allow me to respond to the invitations that you place before me. It doesn't mean that I need to quit my job and stop doing any, everything in my life and say no to everyone. It just means that in all of our day, our, our coming and our going and our walk around working and providing life, that we find a rhythm of walking in your grace and responding to you, listening to your voice and listening to your leading and not being driven by the enemy of our soul that is just pushing us forward to know where we want to go. I will not respond to the butcher. Be led by the shepherd. Lord, have your way in us. And as we lift up your name in this place, I just pray that freedom would fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.